Good morning once again. Fathers, this is your day. <laughs> One day of the year, right? I don't know if you've gotten any gifts for Father's Day yet, or you are getting anything, or whether it's even on your calendar or something you notice, but I pray especially that you fathers would know that you are valued, you are appreciated, you are loved. Thank you for being men of God, men of God who are invested in the Word of God, who are invested in this church, who are invested in your families, and who are invested in this community. Fathers, you are a blessing, a blessing to your children and to those around you. In this age, godly men are sorely lacking and are underappreciated, if not downright scorned. But it is also an age where godly men are absolutely necessary. I pray that you know just how essential and how valuable you are and that you walk in that God-ordained calling with boldness and with grace. I want to talk to you fathers this morning, but as is usual in these topical sermons, I believe that we can all apply the principles that I'm going to share. Even if you have to be a little creative, you can apply the principles. The specific points may be for fathers, they will be for fathers, but the general principle is for everyone. And the general principle that I want to challenge you with or to share this morning and the title of my message is, your character is shown by what concerns you. Your character is shown by what concerns you. Before I jump into a biblical example of that, I want you to take a moment to think Without blurting anything out here, this is, not a, this is a rhetorical question. I'm not looking for responses, but what concerns you? Men, women, children, what concerns you? Money, health, work, friendships, entertainment, social issues, justice issues. What preoccupies your mind? Because usually what preoccupies your mind is actually what concerns you? And there isn't a right or wrong answer to that. There may be specific right or wrong answers to what concerns you that might be right or it might be wrong. But I want you to realize that what concerns you shows your character. It reveals your character to one degree or another, what you are caught up in. Now, I know I'm a fairly self-centered person, I don't know if you realize that. <laughs> I am. And so are you. I have spent the majority of my life thinking about myself. And so have you. We all tend to do that. We spend a lot of time thinking about ourselves. But seven or almost eight years ago now, that perspective for myself changed. I remember holding Aaron in my arms right after Andrea delivered him and uh, cutting his umbilical cord and just being involved in the process and marveling at this precious gift of life. It was, uh, for myself, almost emotional overload. And I know that every one of you who are parents knows that feeling. Maybe not with the second or third or fifth child or wherever you're at, but you know it with the first at least, Right? For myself, it was perhaps even more intense, more intense emotions with Benjamin because he was our 
1% chance baby that God made 100% chance. And the delivery was traumatic. I didn't get the chance to cut his umbilical cord because he was delivered via emergency C-section and the nurses took him and took care of that and cleaned him all up. But I was right there by Andrea's side and after the nurses cleaned him up, they brought him over to me and I stood by Andrea's head, head there and held him for her to see while the doctors sewed her back together. You know what the one thought or one of the thoughts or emotions that entered my head at the delivery of both of my children, it was that I would die for them. That I would die for them. That self-centeredness that I'd spent most of my life satisfying, that I'd like to say disappears, but it doesn't. It, It takes a back seat when a child comes into your life. And they become our primary concern. They are now what concerns us. Often for the first time in a person's life, when their child is born, that they realize someone else matters more than they do. Someone else is more important to me than me. Now perhaps if you've been married for a while, that sentiment is there about your spouse as well. I pray that it is. But that sentiment doesn't come as a lightning bolt kind of moment as when your child is born. Andrea and I started dating on July 13th, 2007, and the next day I told her I loved her. (laughs) Maybe not quite that fast, but almost. Took her longer to be convinced of the fact that she loved me as well, but that's a secondary point. But when I told her that I loved her, I probably would not have been willing to die for her. At least not that first time that I told her that I loved her. That shift in perspective and the reigning in of my self-centeredness, my concern for self, that took time. Not so with children. Becoming a parent does that instantaneously as it should. Suddenly, what concerns us shifts dramatically, and I believe absolutely for the better. So men and women and even children, what concerns you? And especially fathers, what concerns you? I want to look at a biblical example this morning of a father and the concerns that were on his heart and encourage us that these are good and godly concerns. And although they certainly should not be all that concerns us, and some of his concerns may not apply to you specifically, there are still things here that should concern us. And we're going to reflect on these and we're going to see that what concerns us displays and to some degree even establishes our character. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Matthew chapter 1. We have here the account of the birth of Jesus. But this morning, I would like to focus on Joseph. He doesn't get a lot of attention biblically uh, and actually isn't mentioned that often at all. But what is said of him is worth noting, particularly on Father's Day. So we're going to read in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to the end of verse 25. But before we do that, let's go once again to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have the privilege of calling you that, that you are our Heavenly Father. And that even in that phrase, it describes the glory of who you are, that you are heavenly, and yet the intimacy of relationship that you are our Father. And we thank you that you look upon us in tenderness and care and love. So great a love that you sent your only begotten son into the world to die for sinners, 
We thank you that you are our gracious Heavenly Father. We thank you for our earthly fathers, and we acknowledge them this morning. Whether they have been a role model of you or not, Lord, we thank you that you place them in our lives with purpose, with intent. We thank you that you do all things well, and even where there has been perhaps in our life some ugliness as it pertains to our parents or to others, that you can take even those ugly moments, Lord, and you can use them to develop us and to mature us and to grow us into the people that you want us to be. So we thank you for our fathers, and whether it's that we follow their example or that they have led an example that we don't want to to follow, and so we go a different direction, Lord, we thank you for that. We ask that you would enable us to, in a godly manner, honor our parents. Lord, thank you that we can gather together this morning. We thank you for the opportunity we have to look into your word. We thank you for the principles and for the clear guidance that is contained within it. And we ask, even this morning, as we look at these principles here from the life of Joseph, that you would give us a willingness to see, to hear, to observe, and to submit to your word as well. We ask that you would enable us by your Holy Spirit to accomplish this in us and through us. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So this was done, all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Amen. So focusing this morning on Joseph, I want us to observe here and in two other short passages what concerned him. And the first thing that I want you to notice is that he was concerned for the well-being of his wife. I'll go back a couple thousand years here. Mary and Joseph are betrothed. Betrothal is like engagement, but it is more binding than engagement. It was a period of time, usually a year at least, where the couple was considered married or promised to each other, but the ceremony had not yet taken place and the marriage had not yet been consummated. Betrothal was such a commitment that the only way out of it was through divorce. So that gives you an idea of how significant betrothal was. So you have this young Jewish couple, Mary likely between the age of 14 and 16, as was the practice then. And Joseph, there's a lot of debate. Some think he's quite a bit older. There's recently um, an assertion that he would have been two or three, maybe four years older than Mary. So 14 to 16-year-old and Mary, 16 to 22-year-old probably in Joseph. And they are engaged to be married. They are betrothed to be married. Their, their marriage has been arranged. A dowry has been exchanged. They are promised and committed to each other. And they are in preparation for this upcoming wedding celebration. There is excitement and anticipation in the air. And one day, in the middle of that excitement and anticipation, Mary comes to Joseph and says, I'm pregnant. Can you imagine that conversation? Two children 
teenagers, but young and uncertain. And Mary says, I'm pregnant, but, but it's not what you think. This child that I'm carrying is from God. Okay, this is what she tells Joseph. This pregnancy happened without ever having sex. This is what she tells Joseph. I can't imagine what Joseph's response would be. Guess what? That's not possible. <laughs> it has never happened in the history of mankind. There is no precedent for this. There's only one way for a woman to get pregnant, and it involves a man. That had to be what went through Joseph's mind. And Mary is telling the truth here. This is a miraculous, a divine occurrence. This is a miraculous conception. But there's no possible way that Joseph could have wrapped his mind around it until the angel reveals it to him. It is light years beyond the realm of any possibility. So we know what he must have been thinking. And yet look at Joseph's response. In verse 9 it says, Being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, he was minded to put her away privately. Joseph has just discovered that his bride-to-be is pregnant with another man's baby, or so he would have thought. He has to be devastated. He has to be humiliated and angry and a thousand other emotions. Wouldn't you be? If you heard the devastating news that your spouse, as far as you know, logically speaking, has been unfaithful to you. And yet the Bible says that Joseph... Here was a just man and and didn't want to make a public example of her. Now when it says just, it obviously does not mean simply that he would allow the exact weight of the legal requirements to fall on Mary. It means he was upright, that he was a righteous man. A righteous man, fair and equitable. His sense of justice was balanced by an incredible amount of compassion and grace. It had to be. Legally, Mary could have been stoned to death for adultery. And Joseph could have required that. That is the legal system that they were under. And this was a grievous offense. But Joseph not only didn't want the strong arm of the law to fall on Mary, he didn't even want her to have to bear the guilt and shame of this. Not wanting to make her a public example. That's remarkable in itself. He didn't want to drag her before anyone and have her humiliated in the eyes of anyone. As a matter of fact, in Joseph not placing the shame upon her, he ends up potentially placing the shame upon himself to a certain degree. In not making Mary's assumed adultery into a public spectacle, Joseph would be, assur- would be assumed to be the father of that child. And then he would be assumed to be the father who has now put away his pregnant bride-to-be. So not only is he not allowing, does he not want humiliation and shame to fall on her, but he is to a certain degree willing to take that upon himself. That's remarkable. Today, marital fidelity is taken very, very lightly. But it wasn't the case in Christ's day. Not especially in strict Jewish families. This was utterly shameful. And in keeping it quiet or divorcing her secretly, which is what it means when it says to put her away secretly, Joseph would go from being innocent of this to being equally guilty in this, perhaps even guiltier as it would appear that he had done Mary some injustice rather than the other way around. 
Now, we could speculate. We have speculated a little bit about that. We don't know how that could have went or would have went because, thankfully, God intervened to bring truth into this crazy situation by revealing that the miraculous truly did happen and this child was from the Holy Spirit. But do you see Joseph's concern for his wife? Do you see that concern? His world has been thrown into chaos. His bride-to-be has been unfaithful as far as anyone with a sane mind would think. His hopes and dreams and expectations would have been shattered in a moment. And in the midst of it, Joseph acts out of gracious compassion for Mary, even while dealing with that hurt and loss and betrayal that he must have felt. Even then, he seeks to protect Mary from guilt, humiliation, and shame. Now, perhaps I am building more into this than there is. Maybe I'm making more of a hero out of Joseph than he really was. But to me, that looks pretty heroic. And it challenges me to be heroic. And I hope that it challenges you, men and women, to be heroic in your love for one another. That you have such a concern for one another, and especially fathers, husbands, that you have such a concern for the well-being of your wife. That you're willing, you're willing to bear shame and humiliation and possibly condemnation to protect your wife. Our character is shown by what concerns us. In this case, we see Joseph concerned, very much concerned for the well-being of his wife. Our character is shown in what concerns us. Secondly, we see that Joseph was concerned for the commandment of God. In verse 20, an angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream and tells Joseph, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. Now, we certainly live in different days than Joseph did. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that God spoke in past times to the fathers by the prophets, and he has now in these days, when scripture was being written, spoken by his son, Jesus Christ. The term that it uses there in regards to speaking through his son is that he has spoken past tense. God has spoken and is finished speaking in regards to authoritative revelation. We have within our hands the revelation of God to man. It is sufficient. But for Joseph, that was not the case. The revelation of God to man was not yet complete in his day. So when he hears the command of God, which even then would have been far out of the ordinary, he obeys. He is concerned for the commandment of God. This is his response after the angel comes to him and says, listen, this is what's happening. And then it says, then Joseph in verse 24, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. That's pretty precise. Joseph did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took Mary to be his wife. That means they got married. He didn't consummate the marriage, says that clearly. And he named the baby Jesus. Pretty precise, pretty clear. Angel said it, he obeyed it. He had great concern for the commandment of God. And I suspect that the commandment of God that he heard probably would have went against what his natural inclination was to do. It obviously did. He was minded to put her away secretly, right? And yet he obeys the commandment of God. Take even 
one of the simplest things there where he obeys the commandment of God, where he, has, where he shows concern for the commandment of God. In naming the baby Jesus. Why name the baby Jesus? Aside from the fact that he was commanded to. There was no one in his family that had that name. Do you remember the account of Zacharias and Elizabeth when it comes to the naming of the baby of John? And Zacharias can't speak because God has made him mute since he told Zacharias that he was going to have a baby and Zacharias didn't really believe it. And then Elizabeth delivers a child. And she says, this is Elizabeth says that his name shall be called John. And those that were around, this was the eighth day of his, after his birth. They say, but, but why? There's nobody in your family that's named. We should name him Zacharias. And finally they say, well, let's ask Zacharias. And he takes a pen and paper or a quill and paper, whatever he had then. And he writes, his name shall be John. And it says this, not about the fact that he couldn't speak or about the fact that right after he wrote it, he began to speak. But in regards to the, the statement that Zacharias made, that his name shall be called John, it says, and they all marveled because it was not the norm. It was far out of the regular practice. And so it would have been completely contrary to regular practice for Joseph and Mary to name Jesus, Jesus. And yet specifically, he obeyed the command of the Lord. He obeyed the command of the Lord. I've said Joseph was concerned for the commandment of God that the voice of the angel which came to him in his sleep gave him. We have within our hands the word of God. He was concerned for the commandment of God as he received from God. Are we concerned with the commandment of God as we have received from God? Are we concerned about the, the breathing of God, the inspired inerrant revelation of God to man? Is that one of our concerns? Your character is shown by what concerns you. Do we have concern for it? To know it, to speak it, to live our lives based upon it. His concern for the commandment from the angel, I think, puts us to shame because we have as authoritative a revelation within our hands. Are we concerned for the word of God? Your character is shown by what concerns you. The fourth thing or third thing that we see is that Joseph was concerned for the safety of his family. And you probably know where I'm going with this, but Remember when Herod, he has the wise men come in and then he sends them and he tells the wise men and when you found him, come back to me and I will also go and praise him. And his intent was to kill him, to kill Jesus, that is. And before this can happen, because it does happen actually, Herod actually kills all the children under the age of two, it says, in Bethlehem and surrounding area. And before that happens, Joseph has a dream and in that dream, the angel comes to him and says, take Mary and Jesus, and Jesus and flee to Egypt. This is Joseph's response to that. We see how concerned he was for not just the commandment of God, but for the safety of his family. He's concerned for the safety of his family. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, we see the command, the angel. And then in verse 14, it says, when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. So, yes, he's concerned for the commandment of God, but he's also concerned for the safety of his family. And he does it immediately. He has this dream where angel of the Lord appears to him, tells him, listen, take your family and flee to Egypt. And then it says, when he arose, he fled. Not in the morning, 
not after letting any family and friends know where he was going or what was happening. We assume he arose right after hearing from the angel. And he left immediately. It says he took them by night, the same night he had the dream, as far as we know, and departed for Egypt. He got up, woke up Mary, threw their possessions together, you know, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh that the wise men had just left there, and they took off for Egypt. He was concerned for his family. He was concerned for the safety of his family. The same is true when they returned, after a couple of years, they returned back to Israel. Herod died. And when Herod died, an angel of the Lord again appears to Joseph and tells him it's safe to return to Israel. So they pack their bags and they head for home. But after they get into the nation of Israel, before they get to Judea, he hears that Archelaus, Herod's son, who was just as bad as Herod was, was reigning in Judea. And Matthew 2, verse 22 says, he was afraid to go there. This is Joseph. He had concern for the safety of his family. He was afraid to go there. And then it says... And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. So Joseph was cautious and concerned about the destination and ultimately the fate of his family, even before he is warned by God. So it isn't just that he is concerned for the commandment of God, which eventually tells him not to go. He is concerned and prompt in that concern for his family. He's a concerned father. It's all right to be a concerned father. He's a protective father. He evaluates and he considers risks and benefits for his family. And I know that you do as well. And I want to encourage you that that is a good thing. To be concerned, especially in this day and age. To be concerned for the well-being, for the safety of your family. Little bothers me more than people who say, oh, we just trust God with that and then do stupid things. That's not strong faith. That's an easy out. Absolutely, trust God with it, but do smart things. Trust God and be concerned for the safety of your family. Do what you can to care for and to provide for and to protect your family. That is your role, especially fathers, protectors. Don't be talked out of it. Don't be shamed out of it, but be the protector of your family that God has called you to be. Be concerned for the safety of your family. Your character is shown by what concerns you. You're right to be concerned for the safety of your family. You must be. The last thing that is a concern of Joseph, and is a good one for us as well, is that we see he was concerned for religious responsibility. Religious responsibility. Two words we don't often hear and don't really like. The last mention in the word of God that we have of Joseph is in Luke chapter 2, and he isn't even spoken of by name there. This is the account where Jesus, at the age of 12, goes up to Jerusalem with his parents for the feast of the Passover. Remember, they all go up, they stay for the eight days of the feast. Then Mary and Joseph begin the return trip to Nazareth. That's over a 100-kilometer journey, so on foot it would have taken them several days to get there and several days to get back. And at the first night's rest area that they come to, Joseph and Mary realize that Jesus isn't there. Now, don't be too shocked by that. This was a mass pilgrimage. This was probably or it probably involved all of the inhabitants or the majority of the inhabitants of Nazareth. And so they were making this trek together and they would be returning together. So it would have been expected that a 12-year-old boy would be out with the other 12-year-old boys on this journey. All that's as a side note. This trip was 100 kilometers. Hebrew men were expected to go up to Jerusalem from wherever they were three times a year. And women were expected to go up at least once a year for the 
festival of the Passover, the feast of the Passover. In Luke chapter 2, verse 41, it says this, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. The parents of Jesus, every year at the feast of Passover. That is consistent. And for them, it probably would have been costly. It would have been sacrificial. Now, if Joseph is going up three times a year, and they are all going up three to, or at least once a year, it would have been, there would have been obstacles to overcome to do this. And really, would it have been necessary? They're going up to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of the Passover while they have the Passover lamb living with them. They could have done home church perfectly adequately, right? They had Christ with them, yet they consistently go. They take religion or spiritual responsibility seriously. That's a good thing. We downplay it today. Words like religion, responsibility, Christian duty, We don't like those words anymore. We recognize that you can be a Christian anywhere. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to be baptized. You don't have to take communion. You don't have to. You don't have to. You don't have to. I don't know when those responsibilities became such bad things. I don't know when duty, a sense of duty and and a sense of honor in fulfilling the duty that God has called us to, I don't know when that disappeared. It needs to be put back in place. I don't know when it became something that sounded so repulsive. Maybe it's just our sin nature, right? And I think that's what it is. Our sin nature rebels against it. The responsibility that God has placed upon us. But regardless, Joseph was concerned for his religious responsibility. Not only did Joseph and Mary go up yearly, and we assume Jesus went up with them yearly as well. It doesn't state otherwise. But they make certain that when Jesus is at the age of 12, that they take him with him, to present him before the temple. Now, this was according to custom. At the age of 12 or 13, Jewish boys were to become what they call sons of the law, which marked their progression in Jewish study. Now, whether it was tradition that Jesus actually went before the teachers or whether it just happened, because obviously it did happen, we see what takes place here. That's where he ends up. But Joseph and Mary played an active role in this. They went to the temple consistently, as was their duty. They took Jesus to Jerusalem and to the temple as was their duty. They were concerned with religious responsibility. And I think that translates to us uh, today as well. We are instructed in the Old Testament and in the New Testament to raise our children in the word of God. That's a religious responsibility. We're instructed in the New Testament not to forsake the gathering together of your members. That's a religious responsibility. It's not a bad thing to call it a religious responsibility. It's an incredible privilege. We've just discovered that, haven't we? It's, our, it's an honor, but it also is a responsibility. And so we need to, to step into these responsibilities and to be concerned about them. We are instructed, Old Testament and New Testament, to, to guide our children and to teach them godly principles. We are commanded to show by example that we revere God and the things of God and even the, the place that we gather together as the house of God. We are to be concerned for our religious responsibilities, however you want to define them, even if you don't like the word religious or responsibilities. And I know that they do concern you as a parent, that you are deeply concerned about your child's spiritual well-being in regards to these responsibilities. And I want to encourage you, fathers especially, I want to encourage you in this area. Don't abdicate, don't relegate your role as spiritual leader 
as the one who is concerned about spiritual realities. Don't surrender that to anybody else, but step into it with boldness and confidence. Don't surrender that role of of leader and those responsibilities to the church. Don't surrender it to your Sunday school teacher. Don't surrender it to a school system, whatever kind it is. Don't even surrender it to your wife. Your wife may be better qualified to bring your children up in the training and admonition of the Lord than you are. So be it. They may spend more time with your children. So be it. They may be more spiritual, for lack of a better term, than you are. So be it. But it's your responsibility, fathers. It's your responsibility. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6, couldn't be clearer. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Fathers, fathers, we surrender that rule far too quickly, far too easily. It's our responsibility. This is one of the things that I enjoy about Father's Day (laughs) is that I don't have to worry about pulling punches, right? (laughs) Fathers, parent your children. Raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's our responsibility. So fathers, mothers, wives, husbands, unmarried children, all of you. What concerns you? What concerns you? Is it good? Is it valid? Is it biblical? Is it irrelevant and passing? It's like the wind. Concerns me today and doesn't concern me tomorrow. Is it physical things? There's an importance. There's a place for some of those things. Is it spiritual things? We talked an awful lot in the last two weeks about things which cannot be seen, right? What concerns us? What concerns us? Are they the same things or some of the same things that concerned Joseph? I know because I have seen the evidence of your life that these things concern you. And I know because as a church I've seen the evidence of that, that these things concern you. The well-being of your spouses and each other concerns you, and rightfully so, and praise God for that. The well-being, or not the well-being, but adherence to the commandment of the Word of God that concerns you. I've seen it not just because you've expressed it, but because you live it. That your desire, and with feet put to it, is to walk according to the Word of God. I've seen you families and, and know that you are concerned for the safety of your family. You're concerned for the well-being of your family. And that is a struggle in the world in which we live. And yet it's good. We need to step more into that, to, be, to advocate for our children, to care for our children, to guard our families, to protect our families. And you're concerned as well for your religious responsibility. I see that because I know you're invested in the work of the kingdom of God. You're invested in what he has called you to. Fathers especially, you're doing a great job in these areas. You are. This church is blessed with good and godly men and women. We are very fortunate. We are very blessed in that. Thank you for your strength. Thank you for your commitment to these matters. Thank you for your perseverance in these matters. Thank you, congregation, for being salt and light in the world. Thank you for being passionate about good things, for being concerned about what God calls us to be concerned about. And not just mentally concerned, but actually to put, as I said, feet to it, where your concern directs your actions and so reveals your character. Your character is shown by what concerns you. As Joseph was, 
Be concerned for the well-being of your spouse. Be concerned for the commandment of God. Be concerned for the safety of your family. And be concerned for religious responsibility. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the great calling that you've placed upon our lives, men and women, but Lord, especially this morning as I think of fathers, for the calling that you have given to them. Lord, I thank you for them. I thank you that it is impossible for them to fulfill the calling without you. And so I thank you for their surrender, that we have the ability even to, to kneel before you and to, to trust that you will empower us to live as you call us to live. So I ask this morning that you would pour out your spirit upon the fathers in this place in a mighty and powerful way. Give them boldness and confidence and courage to be who you've called them to be. Lord, I pray that that they would be quick to speak grace and truth, to speak love, to speak with authority of your word in their families and in their communities and in this church. Lord, I pray that you would give them hearts that are, are resolved and yet are tender towards you firm in the knowledge of, of who you are and what you are doing, but gracious in the approach of, of how that looks practically. Lord, I pray that you would bless them with, with knowledge of you, and that they would walk in closer intimacy with you. I pray that as they are so busy, we, it's so easy to get so busy, caught up in the things of the world, Lord, I just pray that you would grant them the time that is necessary to be caught up in the things of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray as well that you'd give them the ability and the strength to be the head of their home and to guide their home in, in all areas, but especially in regards to the spiritual aspect, the religious responsibility. We would be men of faith and guiding our family in faith. I thank you for the families that are here, and Lord, I pray that you would bring them together as family units, strengthen them in their love for each other and their love towards you. Lord, I thank you for those who are here today that aren't married, don't have children, Lord, I just pray that you would minister these principles to them as well. That they would see that there are things that that ought to concern our hearts and to be lived out from there. We ask that you would be the one who guides and directs our hearts. So we surrender them to you, our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our our very being, and ask that you be glorified and honored in it. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.